This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. Last week, we briefly mentioned the sequencing of the Y chromosome recently reported in the journal Nature. It is an important achievement. The Y chromosome is a bit of a genetic outlier. It's tiny, but it also plays a key role in sex characteristics and some diseases. So this week, I'd like to dig a little deeper into that discovery with two of the people involved in sequencing and interpreting the structure of the human Y chromosome. Adam Filippi is a senior investigator in the Computational and Statistical Genomics Branch of the National Human Genome Research Institute at NIH. Welcome back to Science Friday. Thanks, Ira. It's a pleasure to be here. Nice to have you. Dr. Katerina Makova is a professor of biology at Penn State University in State College, PA. Welcome to Science Friday. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Let me begin with you, Dr. Makova. Let's get situated, can we? Remind us of what the Y chromosome is and what it does. So the Y chromosome is one of the two sex chromosomes that our genomes harbor. The Y chromosome is specific to males, and it is present only in one copy in males, unlike the other chromosomes that are present in two copies in males. One we get from the mother, another one we get from the father, but the Y chromosome, the men get only from their father. And how is it different from other chromosomes? First of all, it harbors the SRY gene, which is important for male determination. This is the main difference. It also harbors many other genes important for spermatogenesis, and it also harbors many repeats. This is how it differs from the other chromosomes. And is it smaller than the other chromosomes? It is rather small, yes. It is uh, only about 60 million bases long. And is that significant too, the size? Yes, the size is significant because the Y chromosome has a counterpart, the X chromosome. And these two chromosomes evolved from a pair of just normal non-sex chromosomes about 170 million years ago. And originally they were the same size. However, the Y chromosome shrank in size, but the X chromosome stayed just the way it probably was originally. And why the Y chromosome shrank so much is a really interesting uh, biological question. That is interesting. Dr. Filippi, when we last spoke, we were talking about the filling in the gaps in the human genome to get a complete sequence. Why did the Y chromosome take extra work? Yeah, it's these repeats that Katerina mentioned. And in that respect, the Y is very different than all of the other chromosomes, even different compared to the X. And it's this accumulation of these repeats of, you know, tandem variety where you have these head to tail repeating arrays. There's also um, a big enrichment of what we call palindromic repeats. And so just like you think of a palindrome in the English language, it reads the same forward and backwards. There's a lot of sequences in the Y that have this unique property that you really don't find anywhere else in the genome. And because of all of these interesting repletes and complex structures, it's made the Y incredibly difficult to solve as a puzzle. And um, that's what made it the last of the 24 for us to complete. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to piece together fragments of DNA, that's what makes the Y harder to sequence than any random chunk of DNA? Yeah, it's exactly like a jigsaw puzzle when I use that analogy that People always save the repetitive bits of the puzzle for last. You know, 
the repeating buildings, the Waldos, the grass, the <laughs> sky. Uh, it's easy to do the unique bits. And luckily, you know, 90% or so of the human genome is unique enough to put together. You have a lot of the edges in, in there already. Yep. The edges are easy. You can put the faces together. It's all the repetitive bits. And uh, a lot of those live on the Y. And we think one of the reasons for that is because the Y is exposed to a lot of different evolutionary pressures. And so, for instance, as Katerina was saying, most of your autosomes or the non-sex chromosomes always come in pairs. You have two copies of one, two copies of two, et cetera. One from your mother, one from your father. The Y chromosome, it's only in 50% of the population. And those people only have one copy usually. And so there's just fewer copies of this chromosome floating around in the population. And that exposes it to these different evolutionary pressures. And so it accumulates these repeats as a way of kind of adapting to this unique environment that it lives in. Okay, so walk us through a bit about how you go about a project like this. Where, where does the DNA come from? What happens to it? The DNA from this individual came from a project actually that George Church started a number of years ago called the Personal Genomes Project. Um, and that project was very innovative in its way of consenting individuals into research. And so it gave them a lot of extensive training on how they might uh, envision their data being shared in the future, what risks might come with that and so forth. And so everybody that bought into this project was fully aware that their genomic material would be made publicly available for the world to see. And they were highly educated on what that meant. And so that allows us now when we sequence genomes from these individuals to publicly release that data without any ethical concerns. And so this comes from an individual in that project. It's a male individual. We focused primarily on the Y chromosome here, but we did sequence and assemble the whole genome. The issue now is that it's become so cheap and easy to do whole genome sequencing that the analysis is the bottleneck. And so we sequenced the whole genome and then we kind of isolated out the Y and spent a year or so really analyzing the composition and the characteristics of that one particular chromosome. Interesting. So Dr. Makovi, yeah, you have this sequence. What does it tell you? So uh, first of all, uh, we knew previously that the Y chromosome is very repetitive, but we just didn't know how repetitive it really is. So it is 85% composed of repeats compared to only about 54% repeat composition for other chromosomes. So there is a big difference here. And uh, the repeats on the Y chromosome, they come in different flavors. Some of these repeats are transposable elements that jump from one location in the genome to another. Another group of repeats are satellites. These are the tandemly repeated arrays of DNA. And some of them form centromeres, for example. And these are the structures on the chromosomes that are required for cell division to proceed. And some, as Adam already mentioned, are palindromes. So these are these uh, inverted repeats of DNA sequence that actually allow pairing of DNA within the Y chromosome. So the Y chromosome is unique is that it cannot exchange information with other chromosomes, like the X, for example, over most of its length, but it can exchange information with itself, within itself. And this allows it to get rid of many deleterious mutations, as well as of some unwanted repeats, some of deleterious um, repeats, such as transposable elements. So is it doing its own housekeeping, basically? Is that what you're saying? It looks this way to us, yeah. 
I always like to think of it, you know, as keeping backup copies. And so in most of our cells, you have two copies of the rest of the genome. And if you have an error or a mutation in one, say you spent too much time at the beach and you got some UV irradiation, that double-stranded break can be repaired by the homologous chromosome. The Y doesn't have that luxury. And so it kind of has to keep its own backup copies. Let me move on to the second paper that was published in the same issue of Nature that looks at the sequence of 43 different Ys. And they found that they're very different, Dr. Markova. What does that mean? First of all, this tells us that the Y chromosome evolves really fast, even within humans. And there is almost twofold variation in size on the Y chromosome, even among humans. But most of this variation is outside of genes. Most of this variation is at repetitive sequences. But some of this variation exists in genes. In particular, the variation exists in the different copy number of the genes that are important for spermatogenesis. And we still have to wait and see what this means in terms of function, what this might mean in terms of fertility. Is this surprising to find this? This is surprising, uh, but um, some of the work on the uh, variation in copy number of genes was done before. And we know that if you take a look at 100 different men from around the world, they will differ in the copy number of these genes. Just each of them will have a unique a very combination of copy number of uh, spermatogenesis genes on the Y chromosome. So the variation is immense. But this variation in size has never been shown before. This is a totally new discovery. Interesting. I was, that leads me to this other question you may have anticipated. It, if there's such variability in the Y from one person to another, do more samples from more people tell us anything more useful? Uh, certainly. I think uh, this uh, discovery of this immense variation of the Y chromosome among different humans, among different men, is really a new starting point to start associate the Y chromosome genetics with complex traits in humans, including susceptibility to diseases, but also potentially some phenotypic traits as well. Another point, you know, thinking about the evolution of these chromosomes, we like to think about things like natural selection happening at the level of the organism, right? You know, the bear is weak, it dies in the forest, the better bears take the place. But it's happening at multiple levels. And so the individual sperm are also competing against each other in a winner-take-all battle. And so if one of those sperm cells gets some type of mutation that makes it swim a little faster or live a little longer, it can outcompete its brothers in that race. And so uh, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about these different evolutionary pressures that the Y chromosome is exposed to. Because when those sperm are competing, it's really the Y chromosomes in there driving them uh, that are also competing. Mm. When we talk about some diseases being sex-linked, they, they travel along with the Y chromosome. Does this give us any insight into why or any route to help people with those conditions? This is certainly the work that we hope will be happening in the future. And we hope that this opens new avenues for research of sex-linked uh, genetic diseases because there are several types of cancer that are linked to the chromosome Y genetics in particular. Chromosome Y might have tumor suppression properties and um, having a 
copy of chromosome Y might mediate um, some cancer phenotypes. If the Y is generally inherited down the male line, do all the Y chromosomes trace their way back to a single ancestor, Dr. Makova? Well, we do think so, yes. Just as uh, we talk about the mitochondrial Eve, we are talking about the chromosome Y, Adam. A different Adam, I'll point out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a neat bookend, Ira, that the project that we launched to finish these last gaps in the genome, the first chromosome that we started with was the X chromosome. And the last chromosome that we finished was the Y. Um, and the X has some also interesting disease-linked genes for some of the same reasons we mentioned earlier, that in XY individuals, you only have one copy of both the X and the Y. So if you inherited from your mother a defective copy of a certain gene on the X chromosome, you don't have a backup copy. And so there's certain X-linked diseases that are more frequent in males for that reason. And so the sex chromosomes definitely have interesting um, mm. sex-linked disease associations. That is fascinating. This is Science Friday from WNYC Studios, talking about the Y chromosome with Adam Filippi and Katrina Makova. I know you're both working on a project to put the human Y into context with other primates' Y chromosomes. Who wants to tell me about that? Yeah, so we are currently deciphering the complete telomere to telomere sequences of the Y chromosomes of our close relatives. Chimpanzee, bonobo, uh, gorilla, orangutan, and gibbon. We hope to talk uh, more about this in the future with you, but our preliminary results suggest that the Y chromosome has evolved very rapidly in primates. Just to give you a preview, the proportion of genes that are shared between human and chimpanzee Y chromosomes is as low as the proportion of genes shared between human and chicken outside of sex chromosomes. And we diverged uh, from a chimpanzee lineage about 6 million years ago, whereas human and chicken diverged 300 million years ago. Wow. Now that you have the sequence, where do you go from here? So uh, first of all, uh, the Y chromosome carries um, segments of DNA that are important for male fertility. So uh, having the reference of the Y chromosome, the accurate reference of the Y chromosome opens up studies of male fertility. It also opens up functional studies of repetitive elements, such as satellites uh, and their role for the rest of the genome, not just for the Y chromosome. Uh, it opens up additional studies of Y chromosome variation in humans and I think the most important one is that it allows scientists to incorporate the Y chromosome into studies of predisposition to genetic diseases. Dr. Filippi, do you have anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I find um, the sequencing of these non-human ape species um, both incredibly interesting and incredibly promising for our understanding of human health going forward. Because when we look at the non-human apes. So Katerina can correct me if I'm wrong, but if we're talking about the great apes, they share a common ancestor going back around 12 million years ago. And we're talking about an evolution of a genome on these independent lineages for 12 million years. And evolution is very creative 
and it will try all possibilities of mutations and rearrangements and so forth. And so when we look at things in those genomes that have not changed, that tells us that they're incredibly important to the genome and to the function of the individual. And so then if we're in a clinical setting and sequencing a new genome of, say, a newborn that has a rare disease, and we see a mutation in one of these regions that's incredibly conserved across all of our near relatives, we know that it's functionally very important. And so that can help uh, disease detectives kind of narrow in onto the mutations that they're looking for when they're trying to diagnose an actual patient in the clinic with a rare disease. Wow, this is all fascinating stuff. Uh, we have run out of time. I want to thank both of you for taking time to be with us today. Adam Filippi is a senior investigator in the computational and statistical genomics branch of the National Human Genome Research Institute that's at NIH, and Katerina Makova, professor of biology at Penn State University. Thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ira.